0: I got a five.
1: Aaron, the topic that your die roll has determined we'll be discussing today is, do you read the block text or pre-written text when you're running an adventure? This was a topic added by Kyle Latino, a guest GM way back in episode four.
2: Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running games. My name is Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And this week we're joined by our special guest, Aaron. Aaron, say hi. Hello. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. Um, So Aaron, you were a GM at the library event, is that correct? Yes,
0: I helped out at the RPG Day. What did you run? I just ran uh, 5th edition. I did Mm. uh, two sessions of 5th edition and two sessions of character creation.
2: Oh, neat. How did the character creation go?
0: Uh, it was crazy. It was uh, very hectic. Having two player's handbooks was not enough uh, okay. for getting six people to figure out their characters in oh my goodness. 40 minutes.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but it was a lot of fun. It was It was crazy, but fun the whole time.
2: Did anyone come up with a particularly inventive character?
0: Nothing too crazy. Uh, most of the people yeah. there for character creation were definitely people that had never played before, so oh, I just kind really? of went over the basics um, yeah. and showed them their their limited options in terms of time. <laughs> uh, I tried to yeah. stick to like the crunch of what they were doing uh, and said, "Worry about the details later."
2: That's pretty cool. Did people seem to to get it in that short amount of time?
0: Yeah, there was a few people. They picked it up pretty quickly. Um, I mm-hmm. think a few people might have been. In cl- a little confused, and I had to walk them through it a little bit more, but uh, still, mm-hmm. I think everyone had fun.
2: Yeah, it's such a fun idea.
1: In retrospect, would you do that again, where you run a whole character creation sessions, or would you just show up with pre-generated characters?
0: In terms of the adventures, I definitely would use pre-gens. Um, in fact, I did for the adventures I ran, but uh, it's just showing people what it's like to make a character. I would do it again, but I would have... More copies of the player's handbook for people to look at. <laughs> oh, I yes. think I think I
1: misunderstood. So you were just doing character creation sessions as sort of like a, hey, here's how you make a character in D and D.
0: Yeah, yep. They were like sh- kind of standalone ones.
2: What a neat idea. Yeah, that's fun. I know I'm I'm starting up a like a one shot in a, a month or so, and everybody's pretty interested in making their characters. But it's also just such a daunting thing to kind of, like, walk someone through, <laughs> you know, especially for a one-shot. But um, it's neat. So did you have them actually roll dice and everything for yep, it? Yep, I went through
0: you... the, the idea of, you know, roll four, take, yeah. uh, ignore the lowest, and then add up the rest, and then assign them to the stats. So I had them go through all that.
2: When you're running campaigns, do you do group character creation as well at the beginning of them?
0: Um, I haven't uh, in the Mm -hmm. past. Um, I want to for my next campaign. I want to have a more structured session zero that I haven't really done
2: before. Those are useful, but kind of hard to pull off. Yeah. What are you running, and
1: what is the next? Do you have the next campaign in mind already, or just
2: currently? I'm not running
0: anything. Um, We finished up Tomb of Annihilation. I played through that book um, a couple months ago, and we're just kind of waiting for things to settle down before I run another one, which is in the works.
1: Did you run it uh, pretty close to the book as written?
0: Um, I tried to. There was a few changes, and my group definitely was uh, skipped a lot of it, (laughs) but. But we still had fun, and we uh, yeah, I, I tend to stick pretty close to what the source material is.
1: Now, not to get too much um, insidery on Tomb of, Tomb of Annihilation, but um, in my read-through, my sense was it, it, there's kind of a time limit baked into that one by default, right?
0: Yeah, and that was my big problem with it, is that by default there is this death curse, and people are dying and not being able to be resurrected, so you need to find out what is cre- causing The death curse, Uh, and my players took that and they ran with it. That was their immediate goal. However, the book assumes that you're going to do a lot of exploration in the jungle, and my party just didn't have time for that because they were interested in finding the source of the death curse and ending it as quickly as possible.
1: Hmm. And rightly so, because I mean, that's what they're kind
0: of—that's what they're hired to do.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The book just assumes that you're going to get as distracted as other players.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, or get lost in the jungle, I guess.
1: Have you yeah. run any of the other uh, published Wizards of the Coast adventures?
0: That's the first big one that I've done. I did a couple for 4th edition, um, and I've run the starter set for 5th edition.
1: I feel it's creeping closer to our uh, our topic for the evening. but uh, <laughs> but So having finished Tomb of Annihilation, when you wrapped up that came, campaign, were you like, oh, that was fantastic, uh, or I'm never running a published adventure like that again?
0: I think it was fun. Uh, I think that particular story and how, I, like I said, that they, they had that very core goal that didn't allow for open play. I don't want to run that type of story again. I don't mind doing published adventures, but I need a little more casual, I guess, or open-endedness rather than a direct, we need to go find this thing and we need to do it now.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah, do you like that, that open game world concept where they can just do whatever they want?
0: Sometimes. Sometimes I like yeah. it, sometimes I don't. Um yeah, the the game I'm currently planning is kind of more of a the party all works for an organization that sends them out on missions. So I wanna mm-hmm. do more Monster of the Week type stories oh, where it's fun. a short adventure and then they can do things during downtime and then go mm-hmm. on their next short adventure rather than a big, long, arcing campaign.
2: Would you actually run it in Monster of the Week? Or have you been looking at other systems?
0: No, I have not looked at another system. So, um, yeah, I was just going to use 5th edition D&D.
2: Yeah, it seems like that could work really well for it, especially if you had, like, the organization that's sending them out is, you know, some sort of shattery organization they can take down later or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Looking back, could you share for us maybe what was a real highlight of your GMing career? A lone adventure or an extended campaign that was just a really fond memory?
0: So for me, I put a lot of focus, I think, on the terrain and set pieces for when I run games. So I've had a lot of fun. I created a two-scale Firefinger, which is this very tall, basically a tall mountain that they had to Mm -hmm. climb. It was 300 feet tall in-game. And I took the one inch equals five feet squares and made a two scale, actual, yes. like six foot tall tower. Amazing. That they then climbed level by level. And I had it so you could take it apart and go through the caves inside each section. Oh my goodness. Uh, and then later in the game, I started using a digital map on a TV that I put on the table that I have at home. And hmm. in fact, I kind of combined them. I had this video of lava flow and then built an actual set piece above it, so then they would look down and see the lava
2: below. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, you shared a picture with us of that, that three-tiered um, tower. It was yeah. amazing. I think we'll, we'll have to drop a, a picture of it into the show notes, but yeah, it was phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. When you put that on the table, I guess, did your players just like gasp or, you know, what What was sort of their reaction? Yeah, they
0: were all very impressed and and a little daunted by how tall it was. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it barely fit on the table up to my ceiling. Um, so, it was, But it's always fun. I always try to hide it and then kind of, you know, go mm-hmm. into a closet, and pull out this thing <laughs> and, and set it on the table.
1: I think you take the record of, uh, I think you're the first GM we've talked to who has had a Prop for the table that was physically larger than he he or she was, so congrats yes. uh. thank you <laughs> yeah.
2: that's really great yeah um yeah let's let's dive into our topic I think yeah, so the the topic is all about block tech, so this is um. You know, this is the stuff that's written down in the adventure either by yourself or, you know, by Wizards of the Coast in the book, <laughs> you know, or whatever, whatever you're reading. And it's it's the like, read this when they get to this room sort of text. Yeah, so I guess let's just go around real quick, I guess, like, what's, what's sort of your one one word answer to this? Do you read it or do you not? Why don't you start, Chris? I do not read it. Okay. Aaron, how about you?
0: I do read it but I still feel that I'm a, a, burgeoning DM. So, but I do read it, uh, as m- often as I can, cause it sets the scene better than I could with my own imagination.
1: Yeah. I sort of read it. I uh-huh. will read maybe 25% of it and just, um, wing, wing it and improvise, uh,
2: Yeah, I used to read it pretty religiously, like it was like, okay, like, great, we've got to the block text, let's, let's read it. And I found that either it's just my narration skills or whatnot, but my, my table would often just sort of check out as soon as I started, started reading it. And this happened most, I was running a one shot that I wrote up around um, a Christmas carol. And that I had in the original sort of draft for it. I had like page or two long sections from A Christmas Carol in there. And I would, you know, the first time I ran it, I tried to read those things just verbatim. And just everybody was just so bored mm-hmm. <laughs> by the time I was getting through it. Um, yeah, there was just something there's something about that, like that switch that has just never sort of worked well for me. I mean, I don't know if I'm just approaching it wrong or what.
1: Do you think that that would still be the case if you wrote the text yourself so that there was not a change in voice or style?
2: I would get really into my own head about it I think and just spend too long trying to craft the text such that I think it would still be the and it'd be this the same problem. So I find it's it's often better just to sort of pull back into either paraphrase it right do that sort of like reading 10% of it or just come up with it um, on the fly based on based on what I know the scenario is going to be. Yeah.
0: yeah that's one problem I had is anytime you read something it's very clear that you are reading your voice changes in that sense rather than just speaking and describing the scene you've you've changed Mm -hmm. to the reading voice
2: yes
1: (laughs) yeah i also find that when you switch into like reading mode it sort of cues to the players like what's important versus Mm -hmm. what's not in a way that you can hide a little bit better when you're just maintaining a consistent consistent your own voice so when mm-hmm. they hear that the block text is there, um, I don't know, I feel like that's sort of a, 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 cue, it's a cue for some people to check out, but it's a cue for others to like start listening really carefully for the clues that they know must, the important stuff that they know must be in there. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if you're not reading it, you can drop that stuff into other interactions in a way that feels a little more natural to me.
2: Yeah. In a video game, certain keywords in that block text would be highlighted in yellow or red. <laughs>
1: yeah. So exactly. Exactly. As you're reading them, it's a better way to pop put up. It, yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't miss this noun that's happening. Um, Aaron, when you're so like, I mean, so you do read it, right? Like, yeah. and, you know, people are like, do you feel like that's giving them too many clues when you read it or?
0: Uh, sometimes it's definitely, like I said, I'm, I'm still in the learning stages. Um, I don't get to DM often and so I'm I feel like I'm still finding my voice as a DM. Oh, we all are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh but yeah, reading uh reading the text it helps me get it but yeah, I think like I said before you get that reading voice and so my players say like okay, this is just Aaron switched to a monotone voice of reading and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not quite as interesting anymore. Um, but it is yeah. the details that of the room or whatever they walked into.
2: I would imagine in Tomb of Annihilation though, probably that's a little bit more important, right? Cause that my understanding from that module is that it's sort of designed to trip people up and, It'll kill a lot of <laughs> kill a lot of characters, right?
0: Yeah, especially at the end. It's a very it's a very big dungeon. It's clearly has some influence from like the Tomb of Horrors. Um, it's mm-hmm. built by Asarrak, the same creator of both of these dungeons. You need those details, and uh, I probably just wouldn't be creative enough to come up with them on my own. I need that block text.
1: Uh, it's not just you know, but it's not just about being creative. I find it's easy to forget details. I've certainly been in mm-hmm. situations where I was winging it and I forgot to mention that there was a door on the north side of the room. And mm-hmm. so like, you know, 10 minutes into an encounter, it's like, oh, wait, guys, this whole time there was a big door with scary runes on it, like right here in this room. <laughs> and it's like, well, that that was some poor jamming on my part there. But uh, yeah. yeah,
0: actually, I find sometimes there'd be details outside of the block text that are not in there and I would <laughs> yeah. miss those because I read the block text and then I'd be yes. reading and like oh wait there's something else that they added later <laughs> for my knowledge but not for yours right away yeah. and yeah. I missed it.
1: But one thing I wanted to say uh one nice thing I find that does happen when you read block text and why I, and it's one of the reasons I do read the block text even though I try to improvise it and make it sound as much like me talking as I possibly can. And that is, it serves sort of a social function at the game of saying, okay, everybody focus again, we're getting back into the game. You know, people are bantering and chattering and things like that, or just the scene is kind of dragging on a little bit long. You can say, okay, it's time to focus again. Here's my official game master voice as I read the, a paragraph or two. And it's a way of like resetting and get, getting attention.
2: Yeah, because it is that. It's, it's such a break from sort of the normal conversation back and forth. Is this, uh, so if it, like, like I mentioned being a stronger narrator, like if you had a professional voice actor, and I don't really watch a lot of like actual plays, like Critical Role and stuff, so I don't don't know, but if you're a professional voice actor, can you read something like that without it feeling like it's reading, or is there always that knowledge by everybody at the table that you're reading something?
0: I think it's pretty obvious when you're reading something. You definitely have a certain cadence to your voice or something that changes Mm -hmm. when you switch from natural speaking to reading something but you know some of that like uh you were saying that uh, that's kind of the the time to focus now right you put on your gm voice and it's back to i'm back to narrating the story as opposed to talking to the players while they're playing
2: the Eternal Lies campaign that I'm playing in with um, Matt Wilson. So he he has handed out stuff to us for us to kind of like read around the table. So it's similar to block, pe- block text in that it's like it's information that needs to get relayed to everybody. But rather than him sitting down and reading a bunch of you know letters between two people, he just has the characters at the table reading them, um, which is kind of a nice way of I think like sharing the burden of that. Um it still ends up being the same information sharing. I almost said information dump, but it's like information sharing amongst the table Mm -hmm. um in that way. Uh but yeah, I guess there's like there's kind of no reason. It's like, you know, if you're reading specifically sort of a like a description of a room, like anyone could really read that. Right. Like you have the knowledge because you have the book in front of you. But yeah, it does like with that Eternalize campaign, it makes me kind of wonder if like if there's more ways to kind of integrate Integrate some of those things like block text amongst the table rather than just having the GM doing it. Yeah,
1: that's an interesting idea. Yeah, it'd be kind of tough to do that in the traditional D and D block text for each room of a dungeon scenario. But it's mm-hmm. a it's an interesting idea for sure. I was gonna ask if what makes for good block text in your opinion. Yeah, what elements are in a good piece of block text? block text that would make you Chris, who doesn't read these things, consider maybe reading it. <laughs>
2: It's got to be short. That's, that's sort of my, my main thing. It's like, if it's longer than a couple sentences, I know that I'm going to want to just try to paraphrase it. Um, Yeah. So I would rather have like more blocks separated out. Like Aaron, you were mentioning, like sometimes there's just details that's just written in the book that you sort of miss. I think having it in those specialty blocks allows you to sort of focus on a little bit more. So it's like anytime there would be some sort of detail, which is like at some point you might share this with the, with the, the table, I would love to have that kind of set apart as um, as a separate thing. That's that it's kind of written out like you could just read it and it could act as narration, or you could yeah, paraphrase it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I think that's certainly good. I mean, short is probably the single biggest thing. But like when you're actually writing it, I mean, good block text block text is doesn't assume the characters are doing anything. I've seen some pretty mm-hmm. terrible block text that like actually even says like how the characters are reacting or it says like an action that they do and I could I guess in some games especially like beginner games that could be appropriate but it really really rubs me the wrong way when the block text says something like you go over to the altar and touch it and are amazed when this happens and it's like well they
0: didn't do that yet
1: so we can't uh Aaron how about you what goes into some good block text
0: for, I had the same problem that you have where, you know, they could, the, the room description is based on them entering a room a certain way. And yeah. either mm-hmm. they come in through the side door or, you know, they're peeking in the room a little differently. So you, you have to pick and choose what text and what part of it they actually <laughs> see yeah. versus yeah. what the block text just says. But in terms of what makes good, I I have a hard time with the adjectives, the descriptors. Um, so, you know, more than just, oh, yep, this is a room and there's two doors. I want the kind of feeling of the room. Mm. Maybe there's, you describe the, the mists or the vines on the walls or, you know, some little details that make it feel a little more alive. And I Mm. sometimes need a little help with that. So that's what would be in good block text for me.
2: Oh, so less than less the physical description about like the room is 20 feet by 20 feet and has a door to the north and more like, yeah like, the the adjectives.
0: Yeah, something Charming. to describe the, you know, the more the look of the room
2: rather than the technical mm-hmm. look of the room. That's a good distinction. Many years ago,
1: I bought, like, a used D&D uh, adventure. The previous owner of that had been, clearly had been a GM and was a highlighting, uh, <laughs> a, a, a crazy highlighter. So stuff all what over the monster. place was highlighted, and it was bewildering at first, and then I realized that an awful lot of his highlighter was him highlighting like key phrases and keywords in the block in block text to like make sure I I assume to make sure that he did not fail to mention those things. So um Mm -hmm. that kind of stuck with me and I these days I will often do that same thing. I will underline the little key things or just circle a few words that and just to avoid that problem of when I start improvising and then I forget to mention that oh yeah, there's a door going north. Mm -hmm. um, it helps me to make sure that I mention everything I need to.
0: That's a good idea. Yeah. I've, I've spent so many years, you know, not writing in books and trying and yeah. feel in that sense that I always am hesitant to do it. Um, and yes. then I, oh. I have also gotten copies from the library uh, when I'm running games. So definitely can't oh, yeah. can't do it in there. Uh, no. But that's that's a good idea for the copies I do own that I should be putting more effort into highlighting those.
1: I You know, I feel you. Uh, I have, for most of my life, I have been a keep my game books pristine uh, sort of person like do not fold the corners don't like don't actually write in them but at a certain point a number of years ago um, I realized how much more character a game book has when it's got your notes and stuff <laughs> like that and your underlines and your highlights jotted in it and it has these memories as you know you could associate it with games you've run and things like that and when I would buy I try to pick up games game books used when i can just for budgetary reasons and i've come to really like it when i see a a book that's covered with somebody else's gm notes just it just gives it some like flavor and i'd like to think that one day you know if i get rid of some of my books that someone is gonna you know (laughs) smile when they see my gm notes or you know that that big a string of decreasing digits clearly somebody's hit points like in the margin (laughs) of a combat encounter or something anyway that's a that's a separate topic Uh,
2: yeah, your kids are gonna. There's gonna be some sort of Reddit post that they post. You know, like I got my dad's old books and look at all these crazy notes. Yeah,
1: yeah. actually, one of the things yeah. that I I did that helped me truly break out of this is I, I asked my daughter when she was quite young and she was big into coloring. I asked her to color the illustrations in one of my. I had a black and white game book, and the results were. Oh my goodness! The results were amazing, and if you have kids that love to color anyway give them man give him a game book and tell them to to color it, it like
0: that's that's almost sacrilege to me i'm like oh, I it know. hurts to hear that story <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's not a it's not a bad idea but it hurts yeah. it hurts a little bit
2: <laughs> oh it hurts yeah i'm thinking about the the copy of mothership i just picked up that's in this like nice nice mylar bag oh yeah to my daughter and letting her color in, like yeah. the dead space marine that's on the front <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and you know maybe don't do this with your like 150 dollar like special edition (laughs) whatever but uh, or maybe do it i mean maybe that yeah
2: um going back to the topic at hand i am wondering do you think it would be possible or even advisable to to run a campaign that just has no block text at all so you're just improvising sort of the whole thing Do you think you'd be able to do that or would you want to sit down and write out at least a couple things that you have in your back pocket
0: i would definitely need to write some things down I I would definitely need that. Um, I mean, it kind of goes back that when you're improvising, you forget the details. So even if I was Mm -hmm. writing it myself, I would have to create block text with the details I wanted to share. Otherwise, I'm going to forget to say them.
1: (laughs) How do you guys remember uh, what to say about locations in an adventure? How do you guys do it? Do you just rely on memory? Do you have, you know, a map or notes that you're you've jotted stuff down? What do you guys do?
2: I've taken to printing out printing out maps um, because I would never write in my books because who would do that? Yeah, but, that, a yeah. monster would do that. Yeah, right. Uh, so I, I print out the maps and then um, what I would have done is like kind of read through the whole you know the whole dungeon. Right, and then go to the map, and then I kind of write up my own notes about what's important in that room. Usually it's, you know, along long lines of, like, you know, what enemies are there, or reminding myself of special features of the room, those sorts of things. I find, like, I have a pretty good memory, then, for kind of jumping back when I need to, to the kind of the description of the room, to figure out what's going on. But having sort of that, like, high level, like, this room has, you know, six whatever's in it, this room only has four, you know, this is where they you know, keep all their food, those sorts of things um, is, is really helpful to have in that way. And then I can jump back to the book as needed.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I definitely have the same thing. Since I've been doing a lot of digital maps lately, I usually have a copy of the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will be a visual cue to me to remember certain details. And then in terms of like combat monsters, I've actually started rewriting a lot of the stat blocks into like my own oh. document that then i use um to remind me like in this room there's this many things and that's kind of a whole separate topic uh where i i do that in order to uh, not have to flip back and forth stat blocks of monsters so i've just rewritten them Mm -hmm. for whatever room that they need to be when
2: you run digitally so it sounds like do you have a like a separate laptop that you're looking at that has a different view than what they're seeing Um, i can yeah
0: Um, so I basically, it's a desktop with two screens. I have my monitor screen and then a TV that lays down on my table. Um, and I can have kind of my own view where I can scroll around the map and change what I need to on my end, Mm -hmm. but then they have a player view that they can only see what I let them see.
2: That's pretty slick. I think both Andy and I are pretty low tech as far as these things go. So every time we hear about like anything that's beyond a piece of random scrap paper we have, (laughs) we're like, Oh my goodness. How do you,
0: (laughs) It's a lot of prep work.
2: <laughs> yeah. Is that immersive for your players? Do you think they like it? I mean, is it? I guess, is it better to have the digital map than like the nothing on the table?
0: Yeah, I think having something. I wouldn't say it's better than any map because you can get into it no matter what. Um, but yeah, my players and myself am very visual. So having mm-hmm. that map on there and seeing kind of what order they're going into rooms, uh, they get to see the doors. So even if I forget a detail to mention the door, they still see that there's a door there um, yeah. and things like that. And the, in fact, the, certain, the app that I use has things like darkness. Uh, I can set a light and it will automatically... Show shadow around corners and things like that, Um, so it kind of helps for when we're doing things in the dark.
2: That's really cool. So going back to what you said earlier with like the physical description versus sort of the the feeling or the you know motion of the room, it seems like if you're running like the map digitally like that and you have all those tools at your disposal, you can sort of just skip that physical description, right? Because you have it; it's pretty clearly laid out there. Um, And then you know, then it's just up to you to sort of kind of add flavor on top of that. It seems pretty freeing in some ways yeah i
0: yeah i don't have to describe that the room is 20 feet by 20 feet and has mm-hmm. three doors i can just kind of have you know scroll to that section of the map and then i can add mm-hmm. the detail of like what they see in the room what objects are in the room uh, which may mm-hmm. not necessarily be on my map
1: i tend to follow the method you described chris where i jot down a few key details for each room i put them I usually have a an index card for each discrete location and i'll jot Mm -hmm. down you know like you guys do you know what what's in the room that sort of thing and then i've learned a lot from the fate core and related games use of aspects to describe to have evocative descriptions of characters and you can also use them to describe environments and locations so i try to I try to assign even though I don't use, you know, aspects in the Fate core sense in a typical D&D game. I try to follow those rules for writing good aspects for each location that they're in, and I find that that is usually enough to trigger my memory.
2: Yeah, how does that work functionally? So I'm not super familiar with Fate. I've read it once years ago. So
1: but... specifically I really don't use it in the functional way uh-huh. that it, that <laughs> yeah. Fate core uses it. So Fate Core and probably some other games too have this idea that you can describe, you write a short, uh, punchy, descriptive sentence or phrase about uh, a person or a play about anything in the game in game in various circumstances. And I'll simplify here: players or enemies get an advantage if they do something that specifically references like that phrase. So, hmm. um, trying to think of a really simple example. So if they're just they're in a muddy cave you know they're in a cave network you might write a descriptive aspect of it that's you know floors strewn with human bones and then Mm -hmm. if a player comes up with a clever way to use that aspect in their action they get a little bit of a boost so maybe i don't know maybe they decide to you know throw a skull a, a bone at an enemy or something like that they just get a little boost and um, and the GM can exploit these aspects as well for or against the, the players. Anyway, I don't I didn't mean to go in a big description of how <laughs> Fate Core works. So
0: no. No, it sounds really interesting and I feel like it's a good way of encouraging both the GM and the players to actually make use of the space and make it feel more alive rather than just straight mm-hmm. combat in a flat, you know, twenty by twenty room
1: that is exactly the intent i think and the effect and in like in dnd i don't usually uh, you know i don't have an official system where i say if you reference my disc a dis- my description of the room you get a little bit of bonus but if i do describe a room in such a way and people make an effort to take actions that interact with the stuff in the room will i look more favorably at that like absolutely oh yeah. but <laughs> But really, for my use, it's mostly just to give me these like punchy little descriptive things to make each room sound unique and to remind me what like what is the the memorable thing about that room?
2: Huh, that's really I'll have great. To steal that? Yeah, that's a good good one to steal. Will you? So you'll go through like the whole dungeon and then do that for each room? I will.
1: Yes, it doesn't really take that long. It doesn't take much. You can do it while you're reading through, you know, the dungeon or the adventure.
2: Well it seems to me I'm I'm thinking about a, a dungeon that I'm probably gonna be running pretty soon that like there's some stuff going on with like, you know, a trapdoor and stuff. If my players are listening, stop listening. <laughs> but um, you know, like a, a trapdoor and stuff and I think like one of the rooms is colder than the other ones. But if I if I like were to look at the dungeon such where i was kind of breaking rooms down like that having some of those descriptors just written down would be super helpful and then it's yeah again like we've been talking about it sort of reminds you to bring that up when you hit that room so you don't just skip over it for whatever reason yeah it's
1: kind of like if you remember nothing else about this room what's like the one yes what's the one takeaway from this room that characters should take away from it but anyway i didn't mean to go yeah. on about that quite so long but there you go
2: <laughs> no that's that's great it's the thing's really interesting
1: to change the topic a little bit, between me and Chris, I am the the old-timer uh, gamer, yes. so I have uh, a <laughs> memory going back into the mists of time. And I just remembered while we were talking some kind of funny encounters I had with block text back in the day. Back in, like, the TSR 2nd Edition days... TSR the company that published Dungeons and Dragons was sort of flailing around a little bit trying to f- create good like beginner products and they had at least one product I think there was a couple but I own at least one of them of adventures that came with a CD like an audio CD what? and uh, the when you would be GMing the adventure the block text would say like play track 3 and so and then you would play track 3 and like the world's cheesiest voice would intone the block text that normally you, the GM, would read. It was, uh, oh. it was, it was pretty bonkers. Uh, so if you want to make it real weird and awkward, I highly recommend that. Like, uh, yeah. yeah,
2: forget I your, your, your
1: unnatural
0: reading voice that changes when you're reading it. Here's somebody <laughs> yeah. else reading it yeah. and just yeah. completely take you out of the moment. And it's not <laughs> just someone
1: else; it's some poor voice actor who is just acting their heart out as like the yeah. the uh, fantasy uh, narrator of your adventure. Yeah. Anyway
2: good times oh my goodness i i need to hear that andy if you still have it or i'm sure i'm sure the internet has has a copy. someone
1: will have put this on youtube um but if not mm-hmm. i will uh, i will see what i can dig up
2: maybe i only want uh, okay well i have to think if i want to experience that through youtube or if i want to experience it by like you running that game <laughs> <laughs>
1: sometime <laughs> i want to say i had it for like a ravenloft adventure and oh, it was perfect yeah. yeah and it was i don't remember if it was like you know, Bella Lugosi narrating it, but I think it was along those <laughs> lines. So anyway.
2: One thousand percent Dracula. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's right. Listeners, if you take one tip from this podcast, it's uh yeah, hire someone to cheesily voice your block text and play that for your place.
2: <laughs> I'm available for that that game. <laughs> <gig. laughs> Whenever you want so I had a a question that's sort of related to this. So when you hand out magic items, do you read off block text related to those magic items or do you let them sort of figure out what the magic item is or, you know, like what's sort of your approach there?
0: I have always struggled with this. Um, On the Mm -hmm. one hand, I would love to just hand out the item and not tell them anything about it, and they have to figure it on their own, whether that's through casting identify or just spending the time to attune to it or whatever it is. But my players tend to be new enough that I don't think they're fully aware of the different ways that they can learn about what an item is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I generally just end up printing out like the stat block for the item and handing it (laughs) to them (laughs) yeah (laughs) is what i end up doing despite what i really want to do
2: do you give them like a physical card too to represent the item or you just you print it out and read it let them read it
0: sometimes i print uh, sometimes i'll make a card and sometimes it's just a printout or i'll just read it and they write down in their notes
1: that is exactly the way I approach it too. I have that same wish that I could give them magic items or what or whatever without describing it in game terms and let them figure it out through a spell. But yeah, Mm -hmm. just for the sake of expedience, I have I don't do that. I just tell them what it is or after just a very token amount of time spent investigating it. There's nothing Mm -hmm. quite worse than 15 minutes of players like dripping a drop of the potion, the mysterious potion on all sorts of substances and trying to figure out what it does and what yeah. duration is it's like okay it's a potion of giant strength just plus four to strength like <laughs> just let's move on
2: yeah. i um i kind of go back and forth on this so I- i've done the like hey you found a weird thing and let's all figure it out and figure it out together um and i think that's fun if you have the right group and exactly what you said andy at some point you just have to kind of cut it off and, and tell them Recently, in the game that I'm running, the the weekly game I'm running, one of the characters picked up a plus one sword and in the block text, you know, block text, there's like the name of the sword and where it came from and stuff like that. I've decided not to tell them that uh, with the hope that eventually he'll sort of name the sword himself, hmm, yeah, <laughs> you know, through use. Yeah. So we'll see if that pans out or not. I mean, I think it's the sort of thing that like I remember, but, you know, he might, not those sorts of things but it's like it's to me it's kind of interesting if like you can try to find a way for them to sort of make it their own and and figure it out versus just giving them all the information but again i think that might just be sort of like a a gm thing like you you would love love it to be the sort of like clever slow reveal versus what the players want which is most likely just like well just tell me what the thing is
1: yeah we've been keeping it pretty specific to the, you know, act of reading or not reading the block Mm -hmm. text. But the bigger question behind this specific one, I think, is, you know, how much much do you improvise during a game versus how much do you pull from, like, the text that you've written or that that you've purchased? Mm -hmm. And how would you guys characterize just generally, not just thinking, do I read the block text or not, but how comfortable are you guys just improvising on the fly as you GM
2: for the, the Blades in the dark campaign that we, we finished up, I improvised everything pretty much like, you know, pulling stuff from the book here and there. And that was very fly by the seat of my pants mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like I kind of always felt like, I don't know exactly what's going to happen next. Um, which is a kind of fun feeling, like knowing that it'll, it'll work out. But I think like the, you know, the locations and stuff like that suffered a little bit because there wasn't something pre thought out. It was kind of just emerging as if it was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's really hard to sort of build a fully fleshed out world um, doing it that way. Whereas if you have sort of everything written out for you in a module, I think, like, it's easier to sort of jump into different points in it, right? And, like, you kind of always know that there's going to be an explanation of, of what's going on. You know, so if they, you know, if they skip, like, a large part of the dungeon somehow, like, you can kind of just jump to that point mm-hmm. in the dungeon and you're not kind of scrambling because it's like, oh, no, they they skipped over the thing that I had had thought of next, but yeah, so I think like I'm getting more comfortable with improvising, and I think in general that's sort of the direction that I'm heading as far as GMing is concerned, um, just because I think it's you know a little bit more fun for me. But I also really also appreciate just being able to sit down and have sort of everything written out for me as well. How about you, Aaron? That's
0: where I'm struggling uh i'm i'm learning to improvise better uh it's been slow going um like exactly what chris said is i I basically need to i'll take a pre-made if i read it enough times or i've gone it to long enough campaign and i start to get comfortable in it then i'm much more open Mm -hmm. to the improv because i can just jump between sections but definitely early days and even the early of the Tomb of Annihilation campaign, it's like, okay, you went here, like, hold on, I forgot the detail. Let me go back to this (laughs) page and let me reread the details real quick because I just (laughs) forgot. Um, But just learning that that's okay and to make up your own details and it doesn't have to be exactly like the book is uh, something I'm still working
1: on. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get the balance. And and the balance is different for everybody. So Mm -hmm. there's not like a right or wrong way to do it. Yeah, I find that I'm pretty comfortable improvising, but I have to have cues uh, written down Mm -hmm. either by myself or in the adventure module. Like I, I have a very hard time coming up with something completely unscripted, but I only need a couple just a phrase again, those like fate style aspects are I mean, that's one of the reasons I use them. I just need a couple of keywords provided for me that I can refer back to. If I have those, I usually am reasonably comfortable improvising, but I, I would need written notes for an adventure, for I think, uh, of some sort. Hmm.
0: That's why I tend. To, I think I tend to stay with like D&D 5th edition and I like using the Forgotten Realms is because all of that information is there. I can, in my off time, read the lore or look at the book I'm running and then feel more comfortable in the world to make up my own things or to have something else, you know, at least a town name. Or if they say they're going here, I can just steal a town name and I can change all the details and no one's going to know, but I don't have to come up with the name of a town or certain details that are a little too picky that I wouldn't necessarily think about on my own if I was making it from scratch.
1: You know, I feel like if you chat with other olds like myself, uh, or you go on the internet and cruise around forums, you'll find sort of a, neg- a generally negative attitude towards Like block text and pre-written stuff, and and maybe even a little bit of a a bias against over prep of against heavy preparation in advance of an adventure. But I have found that like everybody's just because with a role-playing game you can create every piece of the experience yourself doesn't mean that that's going to be equally fun for everybody. And you're one person Mm -hmm. is going to be really good at writing up killer room descriptions and imagining cool environments, somebody else will really flounder with that, but will do a great job of, of role-playing creatively if you feed them the environment. And everybody, I think, has to find that balance of like, what do I enjoy? Where am I most creative? And where do I feel like I have the most fun doing my role-playing?
2: It's interesting. I mean, I think that's why I like personally sort of trying out different systems now and then because I think it forces you to, to to try to approach gaming in a slightly different way. And then you bring some of those things back to maybe your regular game where you decide like, oh, actually, this is, this is how I want to play from here on out <laughs> as you're trying stuff. Yeah, like when I first started, I was really resistant to even just the idea of having any miniatures on the table at all. You know, just because I wanted it to be fully sort of like we're just sort of imagining this together. And then over time, I've softened on that. Right. And like now we use minis to kind of kind of just show our positioning a little bit um, on the table. It's not an exact grid based thing. And finding like looking back, like how often we were kind of stopping stuff at the table to be like, well, okay, wait, where are you and what's going on here Uh and things like that. And just managing all this state that we didn't need to because we could just kind of put it down down on the table but that's the sort of thing where it's like until I was pushed to try it like I wouldn't have never tried it right like and so I think yeah I think you're right on Andy. you kind of have to find find like where your comfort level is and I think it'll even change to sure over time or you know depending on what's going on in your life
1: so I think we should probably look towards wrapping things up uh, we've yeah. had a nice long discussion here does anybody have any kind of closing takeaways uh, about the topic of block text in adventures
0: Paraphrase it, don't read it, like uh, it's always uh, uh, gonna come out better yeah. in your own words rather than just straight up reading
1: it yeah, just doing 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 that like all by itself will bypass a lot of like the problems that we identified earlier in our discussion
2: you should uh pre record it in a British accent <laughs> <Yes. On CD. laughs> yeah. in a Romanian <laughs>
1: accent uh... <In> a
2: <laughs> Romanian accent, yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> Um, well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. Um, so we have sort of one big thing that I think you know about, if not, um, we'll give you some time to think about it, but, uh, so we've talked about this topic and we need to replace it with another one. So do you have a topic that you want to add to the table for someone else to have to talk about?
0: Do you use a pre-made adventure or your own handwritten one or... From scratch one um i'm not sure how to phrase the question <laughs> in a succinct no, that, way that's yeah. a
1: good one and we haven't we've danced around it but we have not ever
2: talked about it directly you know uh, so, i guess yeah.
0: i guess what are the pros and cons of either running a pre-made adventure or creating your own from scratch
2: that's a good question yeah, so Aaron, I know that you 3D print stuff now and then. Yes. Um this is yeah, totally separate from our topic, but like yeah, so I guess where do you find those models or do you make them yourselves
0: So there's a couple sources. Uh, Thingiverse is a free online um resource mm-hmm. of tons of models on there. Um there's lots of kind of open source stuff put on there. Um I've also followed a Patreon or two of guys that mm-hmm. model their own things. Um there's a particular guy who has gone through and he has created 3D models for every monster and every 5th edition book that has come out so far. Um, And I I think just this month, he announced that he's moving from that being a part-time gig to his full-time job. Um, He has so many Patreon people that he's making enough to be able to afford to do it all the time. Um, But for that, it's basically like you pay a certain amount a month and you get access to his Google Drive that just has all the files on it and then you can print at your leisure.
2: That's fantastic. So will you print out all the monsters for the campaign you're running?
0: That's what I did. I tried to for Tomb of Annihilation. I 3D printed a lot of the monsters you find in the final city. And in the final dungeon, mm-hmm. I didn't do everything, but I knew that I knew yeah. they were going to encounter. I printed a bunch of them.
2: That's super that cool. Amazing. <laughs>
1: that sounds fantastic, actually. Yeah, yeah, I
0: got lucky that around the time I was starting to run Tomb of Annihilation was the time he was making things from Tomb of Annihilation. So he was going through that book, adding figures like as my game was going, and I was able to print them out between sessions.
2: If you still have them, I'd love to see a picture. Uh, you
0: know what? You know, I actually just the sold them all to Jess, who oh really yeah in the discord oh. we talked about it she's running tomb of annihilation right now and i'm like i don't really need these and a lot of them are very specific to that kind of jungle terrain and mm-hmm. i don't generally run games in that kind of area so i yeah. sold them off to her to let her use them she took the fire finger bill oh. i got too so oh nice. that is awesome oh, that's all fantastic. right but somebody else gets to use them
2: yeah that's great that'd be a shame to just be sitting in your closet yeah. forever yeah <laughs> yeah all right well thank you so much aaron for coming on this was a really good discussion Um, well um i've been chris salzman
1: i've been andy rao
2: and remember if your players are having fun you're a great gm